Happy Mother's Day, or it bridges happy day that the pastor acknowledges the person that does the PowerPoint because it's his mother. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. And to my wife, who... It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to my wife. and It's also the first Mother's Day, for me, that my daughter is a mother. That's, that's kind of weird, right? So not to make this all about me, but that makes me a son and a husband, and a father, and a grandfather. Those are just some of the, the names that all our culture uses uh, to describe who, who I am, who others are too. And as we come to our passage today in, in Romans chapter 8, we're going to see some of the ways that God's Word describes who we are, who we as Christians are. Now, for most of us here today, one of the words that describes us, I just said it, is Christian. We call ourselves Christians because we've put our faith, we've trusted in, we've given our lives, we say in a lot of different ways, in Jesus Christ. We follow Christ. Now, through the witness of my parents, happy Mother's Day, again, Mom, and hearing the Word of God, I became a Christian at age 13. But even though I put my faith in Christ, I still struggled believing that this word Christian was true about me. Because I continued to struggle with sin. For many years I lived out what Paul says, what we read in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And because of that, my life was filled with doubt and fear. I doubted that I truly believed, but I didn't know how to believe any differently. I was fearful that I really wasn't saved, but I didn't know how to be more sure. And my doubts and fears were increased when I heard people, even pastors, say things like, who you truly are is who you are when you're alone, when no one's watching. The implication was, who you truly are is who you are when you're sinning. Therefore, who I am is not a Christian but an evil sinner. And if that's true, then, then what hope did I have? I mean, I tried. I kept praying to re- receive Christ as my Lord and Savior on a regular basis, trying to, to make sure I really believed that I was really saved. But there was always doubt. And there was never any real and lasting change in, in my life. There were times of victory but they were always followed by times of defeat. Ultimately, I would fall back into sin, and then, and then I'd be plagued by doubt and fear, leading me to question my faith all over again. Was I or was I not a Christian? Until one day, one day when I, I was in my maybe late teens, early 20s, I heard something different. Something that put me on a new path, a path of real and lasting spiritual growth. The founding pastor of this church, David Doherty, said this to me and to others. He said, if you're a Christian, if you have, I mean, there is some ifs here, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then who you truly are is not who you are when you're alone. Who you truly are is not who you are when you're engaged in sin. Who you truly are is who you are when you're worshiping God, 
when you're in relationship with God, when you're glorifying God. That's who you are. And from that time on, I began to see myself in a new way. It was like a a light bulb went off in my head and and everything changed. It wasn't that I, I all of a sudden was a different person. It wasn't that, okay, right now, okay, now finally I'm a Christian. It wasn't that I stopped sinning even. It wasn't that instead, it was that instead of allowing myself to be defined by my sin, I began to see myself through the eyes of God. I began trusting what He in His Word said about who I am. And my doubts and fears were replaced with confidence. Confidence not in myself. This isn't, I mean, it sounds like this is about me, but it's not about me. Confidence in God who declared me to who I was in Christ Jesus. And so today, because of Christ, I can say with confidence, I am a Christian. And more than just say it, I can live it. I I can live the Christian life. And today in our passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, that's what I want each of us to see. I want you to see and believe and to live based on, continue living or begin living wherever you are based on who you are in Jesus Christ. I want you to be freed from the notion that that who you are is defined by your sin. And I want you to, to be free to live the Christian life as God intended it to be lived. Amen? We good for that? Now, if I were to summarize uh, the Christian life, I would say it this way. The Christian life is the process of glorifying God by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sound good? Okay. And what we need to see is that at the heart of our ability to live the Christian life, at the heart of our ability to be who we are in Christ is not our ability. At the heart of our ability to live the Christian life, to be who we are in Christ, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Apostle Paul is showing us in Romans chapter 8. In chapter 7, if you remember, if you're with us, if you weren't, I'll tell you, he described trying to live the Christian life in our own power. He's talking in seven, he's talking to Christians trying to live in their own power. In eight, he's going to be talking to Christians who are living in the power of the Spirit. Living in our own power results in a wretched life of sin, of doing the evil that you don't truly want to do, of not living out who you are in Christ Jesus. But in chapter eight, Paul gives us this glorious description of what we're calling sort of shortened form, living according to the Spirit, life in the Spirit. A description of what the Christian life is intended to be. A description of who you are and how you can now live. A description of of a life being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 describes the life we can hope for, the life we can aspire to, and the life we can live now. It describes the abundant, Spirit-filled life that God provides for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 is meant to motivate and encourage Christians to live as Christians. 
To say to those who struggle with our flesh, who struggle with temptation and sin, to say to you and to say to me, listen up, you don't have to live the wretched life of Romans chapter 7. You don't have to continue to do what you don't want to do. That's not who you are. In Christ, by the power of the Spirit, God has a far better life for you. Just a quick review of of what we've seen so far. In Romans 8.1, Paul assures us in this life that in Christ there's no condemnation. In Christ you can live a life of forgiveness. Romans 8.2-4, Paul assures us that in Christ we are freed from the power of sin. We are free to live righteously before God. That we are those who now walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then in verses 5-8, through eight, he tells us of the importance of setting our minds, of understanding. That. I mean, there's a lot to, you know, it, the Christian life is a lot about what you understand up here and how it translates into here. There's a, that's why we have a book. There's a lot of knowledge that it will impact who we are, and we need to set our minds. How to live the Christian life has everything to do with setting our minds. Where you focus your thoughts and, and, and where your emotions then follow. For those who live according to the flesh, he says in verse 5, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. But there's a problem. That even those who are Christians, even those that are in Christ, even those who have the Spirit of God can and do, at times, set our minds on the things of the flesh. We can and sometimes do find ourselves living according to the flesh, satisfying the sinful desires of the flesh. We still sin. Did everybody know that? Okay, just check in if there was anybody who wasn't aware of that. And because of that, we can begin to think, we can be who I was in my years, we can think that we're defined by our sin. That who we are is who we are when our minds are set on the flesh. We can see ourselves in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, where Paul writes, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And when we see ourselves like this, we can begin to doubt to doubt the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ in our lives, to doubt the Spirit's power to overcome the sin and the, the, the temptation and to bring change. We can begin believing lies, believing ourselves unworthy of God's love and forgiveness. And maybe we are unworthy, but the lie is that God won't love you anyway. Not believing we've been freed from the power of sin. We can find ourselves living uh, those wretched lives that Paul described in Romans chapter 7. Setting our minds on the things of the flesh while trying to overcome our sin in the power of our flesh. We can find ourselves living not based on who we are in Christ, but based on who we were in the flesh. And so beginning in verse 9, I believe Paul wants to be very clear about who you are. He wants to provide us with words of truth, with knowledge that will impact our thinking. We can set our minds on this about who we are and whose we are as well. Because as Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you abide in my word 
And today, that word is, is Romans 8, 9-11. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's something about hearing, abiding, dwelling in, we'll see that, the word of God that impacts how we live. There's something about lights going on and off that impacts my brain. Just kidding. I could have a seizure at any moment. It's my earnest prayer that today, the Word of God will speak to us who are disciples of, of Jesus Christ. Again, this, is, this message may be more than most. I mean, most here are, are geared toward those who trusted in Christ. If you haven't trusted in Christ and you're here visiting us, thank you for coming. And, and I pray that this will speak to you as well. I sp- pray that you will see uh, th- what it means to be a Christian to truly live as a Christian, and you'll want that. But this is for us, for those who've trusted in Christ. This word today, I pray, will set us free to be who we are in Christ. And in that freedom, knowing who we truly are, that we will passionately pursue uh, the, the abundant, Spirit-filled life God has for us. And so Paul begins in verse 9, with the proclamation of who you are. And there are four parts to this throughout verse 9 and 10, so let's take them one at a time. Know this, Christian. This is who you truly are. You are in the Spirit. You're in the Spirit. Romans 8 9 begins, You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. Back in verses 7 and 8, we just read, Paul described those who are living according to the flesh. And because you at times give in to the flesh, you may have wondered if this is who I am. Is this Romans uh, 8, 7 and 8, the hostile to God, cannot please God, is that me? But he wants to assure his Christian readers, you are not in the flesh, even though sometimes you drift into the flesh, you're in the Spirit. None of what Paul just wrote about living in the flesh needs apply to you. Because you're no longer under the power of sin that dwells in your flesh. You, therefore, do not have to set your minds on the things of the flesh. You don't have to live according to the flesh. And know this. When you do give in to the flesh, when you do sin, that is not the true you. That is not the inner you. Even that Paul described back in Romans uh, chapter 7. That does not define who you are. The Word of God says... The true you is in the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? It means the opposite of being in the flesh. Again, verses 7 and 8, Paul has just described being in the flesh as being under the power of the flesh so that we cannot submit to God's law, we cannot please God. So being in the Spirit means that you are under the influence, you're under the power of the Spirit. It means that the Spirit is the decisive influence in your life not the only influence as we've seen and we'll still see again today there are other influences we summarize these influences as uh, the world the flesh the devil and they're still hanging around they're real they exist seeking to tempt us to lure us into sin into living like who we were not who we are so the reason for this proclamation that you're in the Spirit, and for what follows is to remind you that if you fall in prey, 
And you will fall prey to the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil at one time or another. If you find yourself giving in to sin, that is not who you are in Christ. And therefore, that, your sin, need not define who you are. And you need not continue to live in it. As a Christian, who you are is someone who is in the Spirit. The Spirit of God, not the flesh, has the ultimate power and influence in your life. More on that as we go, go on. But, but you're not only in the Spirit, but the Spirit dwells in you. That's our second truth about who we are, who we Christians are. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So two things here. First, Paul's making sure we understand he's talking to believers, to Christians, to those who've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we receive when we receive Christ. So first, Paul is saying, you are in the Spirit. The Spirit has powerful influence in your life, if and only if the Spirit dwells in you. But Paul is also saying to Christians, the Spirit dwells in you. And that word dwell is is important to understand. It's more than just being there. It's more than just, okay, the Spirit is there, like, like, like you might be at an airport or, or in a car or at the store. The word dwell is the word okio, okio the Greek word, and it comes from the, uh, the Greek word oikos or, or house. And so the implication is that the Spirit of God is not present in you as if He were a temporary resident, as if He was going to move on. The Spirit of God has taken up residence in you. This is where He lives. You are the Spirit's home. This implies uh, intimacy. And this implies influence. If someone makes your house their home, they'll become intimate with you and, and, and you with them. And they'll have an influence on you and, 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 and you'll live together. Know this about yourselves, Christian. The Spirit of God dwells. He makes His home in you. We need to know that right now the Spirit of God is seeking to have influence and intimacy in our lives. Therefore, we must submit to Him. We must listen to Him. We must have our ears open to Him. We must allow Him, the One who inspired the Word of God, as we talked about last week, to now illuminate that Word as we read the Word of God to allow the Spirit to speak to us through, our, through the Word of God, to give us the ability to understand and apply the inspired Word of God to our lives. I believe that's the way the Spirit usually speaks to us through His inspired Word. We must allow the indwelling Spirit to speak to our hearts and to direct our lives. We must submit to His influence and and embrace Him, His intimacy. So if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, then you're, you're in the Spirit and the Spirit dwells in you. That's who you are. And there's more. Paul continues, you belong to Christ. At the end of verse 9, Paul writes, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. This reinforces what he's just just said. You're in the Spirit only if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. You're not a Christian. But, But I want us to see the reverse is also true. If you do have the Spirit of Christ, then you do belong to Christ. So the bottom line, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, 
then the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you and you therefore belong to Christ. Christians, uh, we must think of ourselves, the true selves, who we are as possessions of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, 16-20, Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The Spirit of God dwells in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul connects the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us with the fact that we belong to Christ. Paul's describing two ways that God makes us His own. First, He makes us His own by purchasing us. By dying on the cross, we are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And second, He makes us His own by giving us His Holy Spirit uh, to dwell, to set up residence in our lives. There was a, there was a time in, in United States history when you could claim a piece of land for yourself in the West by simply going there and living on it. That was called homesteading. I think maybe some of my wife's family did that in Nebraska. I mean, who else would want Nebraska? But anyway, it was free. Take Nebraska. That's where we get our corn. I shouldn't uh, have a problem with that. And there's also, so there's homesteading, and there's also the more traditional way of getting land, and that is paying for it. And when it comes to the life of a Christian, God did both. In order to possess a people for Himself, in order to call us His own, He bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ, and He homesteaded us by giving us the Spirit. He dwells in us. He purchased us, and He dwells within us. If you're a Christian, you are not your own. You belong to Christ. So, therefore, glorify God in your body, in who you are. Live for God's glory by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you belong to Christ. That's not only who you are, but that's whose you are. And finally, to solidify it all, Christ is in you. That's what Paul says at the beginning of verse 10. But if Christ is in you, he's, he's, he's doing an if-then thing, and we'll get to the then, but the truth is Christ is in you. So let's connect it with what, what we've already seen about who you are in Christ. We've seen that the Spirit of God dwells in you, and that you have the Spirit of Christ, and now that Christ is in you. Getting a little crowded in there, maybe. The thing I want us to see is that we Christians are an inhabited people. We're an inhabited people. We're inhabited by God Himself. By the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ. By Christ Himself. Listen to the way Jesus uh, says it. While He was still on earth, He said in John fourteen sixteen through 18 He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you, He's saying this to His disciples, another Helper, a Comforter, He's referring to the Spirit. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see what Jesus is saying? He will send the Spirit of truth. 
Then he suggests that the Spirit is one with Himself. He dwells with you, that is Jesus, and will be in you, that is the Spirit. In other words, I am with you now, but I will be in you after I return to my Father and send the Spirit of truth. Then he speaks explicitly about himself. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So for Jesus and for Paul, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is one with the Spirit of Christ. And when the Spirit is present in you, Christ is present in you. You're never without Christ. Matthew 28, 20. Behold, Jesus says, He's about to leave. He's about to ascend into heaven. He's given the great commission. Told us, given us our mission. Go therefore, make disciples. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice those who are, notice whose you are. You belong to Christ. You belong to God. You're His possession. But He possesses you by giving Himself to you. He possesses you by giving Himself to you. Christ is in you. The Spirit dwells in you. And trusting, trusting in that will impact how you live. Knowing who you are and whose you are enables you, I believe, to glorify God by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having confidence in who you are enables you to live out who you are. This is the truth that sets you free to live the Christian life that God intends for you. The truth of who you are and whose you are in Christ is phenomenal. It's amazing. If you're not blown, I mean, you don't have to be blown away by my words, but you have to be blown away by the word. That, you, that who you are in Christ, of all you receive in Christ, that Christ Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, that God is in you, and, and you're in Him. That there's this union together. But then there, there's an issue to deal with. Paul continues by addressing. Uh, what I'm calling, I don't know if it's the best word, but it started with a P, so I used it. The predicament of who you are. It's not really a problem, but it's a predicament. Is predicament less than a problem? English people? I don't know. We've seen the glorious truths of who you are and whose you are in Christ. But then we might ask, if all of that's true, I mean, that's pretty amazing. What, what I just laid on you is pretty amazing stuff, wouldn't you say? I mean, maybe you've heard it before and you're going, ah, snooze. But think about it. It's amazing stuff. Christ is in you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You're in Christ. Christ, it's amazing. But if I belong to Christ and Christ has given Himself to me, if that's who I am truly, why in the heck am I still influenced by the world, the flesh, and the devil? Why do I continue to experience temptation? Why do I continue to give in to temptation and sin? Well, Paul says in Romans 8.10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin. Yes, it's true that you're in the Spirit, this, uh, the, the Spirit of God and, and the Spirit of Christ dwell in you, that, that Christ is in you, that you belong to Christ, but there's a predicament. There's something else to consider. Another part of the inqua- equation is that, that in this body... This body we still live in, uh, uh, your body, my body, is dead because of sin. Now what does that mean? 
I think Paul's pointing to the fact that even though Christ is in you, you remain in your physical body. And your body has been and continues to be influenced, impacted by sin. Sin will ultimately result in death, in the death of your body, of my body. But but even now, our, our decaying body, where sin resides in our flesh, seeks to lure us back into who we were before we came to Christ. It's this, it's tugginess. Come back. Live like you used to live. Therefore, in this life, we continue to suffer the effects of sin. That's our predicament. We continue to battle against sin in our mortal bodies. But I think, and, and, and just a side note a little bit, I, and we'll talk more about this next week, uh, this uh, predicament is, is not unknown to God. He didn't like, oh, I didn't think of that. He knew it, and He uses it in our lives. He uses it to help us continue to see His love and mercy and grace and forgiveness in our life. He uses it to help us to continue to trust in me, not me, in Him. But the fact that there's this this, uh, battle, this forces working in our In our bodies, we must resist who we were and live based on who we are. We're going to focus next week on on how to resist sin or resisting sin. Uh, Paul, Paul puts it in verse, I think it's 12 or 13, putting to death the deeds of the body. How do we put to death the deeds of the body? But now, uh, today, not now, today. One day, our bodies will be changed. We need to know that. We'll experience sin no more. Are you looking forward to that day when you're no longer influenced by this body of sin? But for now, in this life, we remain under the influence, not the main influence, but it's there. We remain under the influence of our flesh, of our decaying body. So on the one hand, the body is dead because of sin, but on the other, know this, Based on who you are in Christ, you no longer must give in to the influence of that flesh. It does not control you. You, are, you no longer must give in to the power of sin because Paul continues in verse 10, on the other hand, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Yes, we're in this decaying body that's influenced by sin. By the world, the flesh, the devil. But the Spirit of God that dwells in us brings life because of righteousness. So there's a Spirit dwelling in us because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus Christ's righteousness. Not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Because of Christ. Because Christ is in you. Because you've received Christ. Because He's sacrificially died in your place. You've been given the gift of righteousness. On the cross, Christ died for you. And He not only purchased you, you belong to Him, but but He purchased your righteousness. He redeemed you. He he bought you back from sin. You're no longer under the, the power of sin. And by the power of the Spirit, even though your body is dead, You can live because Christ's righteousness has been given to you. Here's the truth about who you are in Christ. You don't have to wait. You know, we want to wait. We want to say, I can't wait till heaven. 
think I just referred to, can anybody just wait till there's, there's no more sin? But we don't have to wait for this new sin-free body to be spiritually alive, to experience the abundant life that Christ promised. The righteousness is ours now. And Christ is ours now, and therefore the Christian life is ours now. You are now alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you, your spirit, can never die. And that takes us to our third and final point, the promise for who you are. Paul's established the truth of who and whose you are in Christ. You belong to Christ, and Christ has given Himself to you. You're in the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in you. And with these truths about who you are comes the promise. It begins, verse 11, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you're in Christ, if Christ is in you, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, that's who raised Jesus from the dead, by the way, God, therefore this promise applies to you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead, God the Father, will give life to your mortal, your dead and dying bodies. You, like Christ, by the power of God's Spirit, which which dwells in you, will experience the resurrection of your body. Your resurrection is is as certain as Christ's resurrection, because the Spirit that raised Him from the dead dwells in you. And this speaks to God's love for us, the mercy He continues to have for us, and it speaks to the assurance that we have in Christ. That the Christian life will one day be fully realized in us. We're in a process now, but one day the process will be over and will be complete. Uh, Our new body will be united with our spirit when we're raised, that we will one day for the glory of God be raised from the dead and fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. You, Christian, will be raised from the dead. You'll be fully and completely transformed by the power of God. Sin will no longer have influence over you. You'll be fully, body and soul, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You'll be like Jesus That's the future promise based on who you are. And it's glorious. It's something to hope for. It's something to to walk in, to live based on. This is what I have coming to me. I want to live for that. My life to be moving in that direction. And so as we close, I want to reflect on what that means for our present. For who we are now. I want to ask, now that we know, maybe you knew already, maybe this is a reminder Maybe this is revolutionary like it was for me when I was somewhere around 20. I don't know. Now that you know who you are, what does it mean practically for how you live? Well, it means that who you are is someone who's in the process of glorifying God by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let me suggest that this will be practically seen in our lives in two ways. There are two basic ways that we go about glorifying God. There are two basic ways that we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The first way is to stop to stop living based on who you were in 
who you were before Christ, who you were in the flesh. Stop living like you're in the flesh. Stop giving in to the sinful desires of the flesh. Stop using your body for sinful purposes. Stop presenting your members to sin. When you find yourself giving in to sin of any kind, realize that this is not who you are. God declares you to be something different, something other. And run to God. Seeking His forgiveness, seeking this intimacy and influence that He has, seeking the power to overcome sin. We glorify God by being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ through submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit that overcomes sin in our life. Now as we've said, this this doesn't mean you'll become sinless. But when you enter into this process, you will begin to sin less. Maybe other sins will be revealed as you become as you're transformed but you're enter, enter into a process of sinning less of growing in your ability to overcome sin through the power of the spirit that dwells in you who you are in Christ is a person who is overcoming sin by the power of the holy spirit so first there's a stop living based on who you were but second We glorify God by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit by starting to live based on who you are in Christ. The Christian life is not defined by don'ts, stop, quit. It's it's filled with it's 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 filled with do's. Think about what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To be in Christ, to belong to Christ. It means to uh, to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, to act like Jesus. And that, uh, fortunately for us, is a lifelong process that we enter into. And it may seem overwhelming, but it's a process that should be happening right now in our daily lives. Let me close with just one example. I mean, there's so much to say about what it means to, to be like Christ. Just one, one, one example that I think is important for us at Bridges. Something we need of, of living based on who we are in Christ. Recently, I've been thinking about how Jesus invested in people's lives. How He gave Himself over for people. He spent time and he spent effort teaching and training these disciples. He reached out and touched those who were, who were different from him. You think of the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, the, the Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the tax collector, the woman caught in adultery, and others. Jesus loved and invested in, in, in people of all kinds. And I believe one aspect of glorifying God by, by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit for you and for me is to invest our lives in people. Bridges Church, this church is filled with mature Christians. And I don't just mean old people, although some of us are getting there. It's filled with people who know, at least intellectually, uh, this was a review for you. You knew who you were in, in Christ. You know who you are in Christ. And therefore, we must live based on who we are in Christ. We have something to offer as a church, as a people. Specifically, we must take the effort in, in this example, and I think it's a big one, 
Take the time and the effort to teach and to train disciples for Jesus Christ. We must reach out and love to those who are different from us, to those we wouldn't think normally of reaching out to. We, we are in the Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ dwells in us. We belong to Christ. Christ is in us. We must therefore, by the power of that indwelling Spirit, represent Christ in our world by doing what Jesus would do, by investing our lives in the lives of others. And so I, I ask you, I ask myself, Christian, so if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply to you and doesn't sound good, okay. Christian though, who are you investing in? Who are you, again, not in your own strength, not in your own power, who are you in the power of God's Spirit and for the glory of God, who are you pouring your life into? Who are you giving yourself to? Because it's when we stop living based on who we were before Christ and start living based on who we are in Christ that we start living by the power of the Spirit. That's when we truly experience the Christian life. It's when we truly experience who we are in Christ. That's when we will truly sorry, uh, glorify God. That's when we're, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's when we'll experience the abundant, Spirit-filled life that God offers. We will not experience that life until we start living based on who we are in Christ. We will not experience that life until we start living like Christ. And when we do, that's when we'll have the impact in the world that we'd like to have. That's when we'll be equipping people. That's when we'll be seeing Christ-centered change in the world around us. And so I pray for us. I pray that we would be a people that would seek to live based on who we are. Live based on that Christ is in us. Live based on the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in us. I mean, we should, that should overwhelm us. It should, uh, I mean, it, it, it should cause us on a, on, a, on a daily basis to fall down before God and just thank Him for the mercy He's had in, in giving us Himself. And when we live based on that, I think that's when we'll see, see a real change in ourselves and real change in the world around us. Would you pray with me to that end? Father God, thank You so much for who we are. Thank you for Christ and that he died for us, that he died, he died to, to, to give us righteousness, that we can have this relationship with you, that we can have a relationship, this intimate relationship, this influencing relationship, that the Spirit dwells in us, that Christ is in us, that, that we're in Christ. What an amazing thing, Lord. I pray that that, that would uh, stop us in our tracks many times, even this coming week, as we think about who we are in Christ. And it would cause us to begin to reach out, to begin to communicate, to begin to represent You well by investing in the lives of others. Lord, help us to overcome the sin in our lives and to begin to reach out to the people in our world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.